0: Our text for today comes from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 8, if you want to turn there. And while you do that, it seems like a good idea to mention that these verses, and you'll notice a footnote in your Bible, don't appear in some of the oldest and best Greek manuscripts that we have of the Bible. That's just a fact. And I mention that because if you were to read some books, certain scholars would tell you that these verses don't belong in the Bible, and that maybe they're made up, and that other scholars would say, well... We don't really know what that means. All we know is that we don't have that in some very old pieces of paper. Maybe we lost it, maybe we don't know where it goes exactly in the Bible. Uh, but we think that this is a true story about Jesus. And I bring this up partly because you have the footnote. So if someone like me doesn't at some level acknowledge that this is true, it might freak you out later if somebody says, oh, that's not in the Bible, it doesn't belong. Why didn't Luke tell me? Well, he has been lying to me about that. Um, and so it's it's worth mentioning uh, that that's, that's true. Um, but it's also worth mentioning because people can do different things with that truth. Um, some, right, would say this is a made story, others would say, well, this is a great story. We just don't quite know how we got it. And it's worth talking about different ways of looking at the truth because that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, the truth. Turn with me to John chapter 8 again. And that's we're going to start at verse 1. And we're going to read uh, to verse 11, where we skip to verse 31. <coughs> While Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Because no one condemned you. She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on do not sin again. And skipping to verse 31. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying, You will be made free? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household, the son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. This is the word of the Lord. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free." We have an uneasy relationship with the truth in our time, but these words have made it into pop culture, and into comic books, and movies, and courtroom dramas. Uh, Liar Liar, you remember that movie? Jim Carrey? Yeah? If you don't, you should see it. It is ridiculous. Uh, Jim Carrey plays a lawyer who lies. You might have guessed that from the top. He lies all the time, actually, for the reasons that we like, because it's easier than telling the truth because it helps him win arguments, because it's a habit, and one day his son prays to the birthday cake god, and Jim wakes up the next day and can't lie, he's a compulsive truth teller, and the rest of the movie is pretty ridiculous, because it's Jim Carrey for one thing, and at one point he gets attacked by a pen that he tries to lie under. and it writes the truth all over him, and it's yeah, that's very funny. At, at one point in the movie, he just, he just keeps getting in trouble. The more he tells the truth on himself, but the climax of the movie comes when Jim Carrey has been trying to figure out how to tell the truth in order to do an ugly thing, where he would usually have told a lie. And he figures it out, and it's this great victorious moment. And he all of a sudden quotes this passage from the Bible You know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he wins the case and immediately regrets it. Immediately. He tries to get the judge to overturn the conviction. And the judge threatens hold him in contempt of court, and Jim Carrey walks away just shouting, I, I hold myself in contempt. I hold myself in contempt. It's a weird moment and a funny way, Because we have an uneasy relationship with the truth. The Pharisees in this story have the same problem. They tell the truth in order to do an ugly thing. But no one would say it's not the truth. This is the truth. She has committed adultery. Those are the facts of the case. She's been caught in the very act of it. It's a really despicable thing. It's an ugly, gross thing that's happened. She's betrayed a lot of different people in that moment. She's been dragged in front of them, and she deserves death. Jesus does not dispute the facts of the case. Jesus does not say, Oh, hang on a second. you've you've misunderstood the situation, or it's not that Jesus agrees. This is wrong. Jesus seems to agree. She deserves that. Now, for those of you who don't know, the the word adultery is an old-timey word. It's old-timey because in our time, uh, we are uncomfortable with the idea of words like this uh, that say that there's such a thing as good and bad sex, or right and wrong when it comes to sin. But the word adultery means uh, that you are having sex with someone that you are not married to that maybe they're married to somebody else or maybe you're married to somebody else or maybe you both married to different people. It doesn't really matter. It's wrong. The Bible puts this same word in a list alongside murder. That's how seriously it takes that word. If you, if you commit adultery, you invite death into your life. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, this sounds like the most obvious thing in the world to me. And I've talked about it in so many occasions and I think it's not even worth bringing up. It's like telling people murder is bad. It just feels stupid to say, and I'm surprised that I'm surprised. When I talk to people later and i will say, yeah, we've kind of been messing around with that. And it's almost destroyed everything. It's a dangerous thing. you invite death in your life. And we are uncomfortable with sentences like this in our time, right? That's just the truth. Laid out there cleanly with no like gray area or disclaimers or caveats, or right? I'm not hiding it by. It. It's just out there in the open. And we go, well, yeah, I mean, like, it's, but what, you know, what if, what if you're in love with, okay, that's not great, that's what every cheater would say, right? Yeah, that's, uh, what if it was an accident, how could it possibly be an accident? Um, but don't. I mean, it's, it's not the best, I'm not, it's not the best, you know, but evil, wicked, wrong, horrible, horrible. punishment, I don't know. The Bible, <coughs> the Bible does not care about hurting your feelings. It will tell you the truth. I have friends who will tell me the truth. There's some of my favorite people. I want people to be honest with me. But can we really say that the people in the story are being honest? The truth doesn't really seem to be setting anyone free in this story. And I have a lot of questions. If they've told the truth, but I have a lot of questions. How exactly do you discover an affair at exactly the right moment? to catch her in the very act. That's amazing timing, don't you? And how exactly does that happen at exactly the same time that Jesus happens to be in that particular town during his sermon? Which, incidentally, this happens during a sermon in a temple. Imagine if somebody just drags a half naked woman into this room and says, so preacher, what do you think? What does the word of God say? What should we do? It's a pretty intense moment, but the timing is spectacular. Also, if you catch someone in the very act of adultery, as I understand, adultery is a teen sport. <laughs> How is there only one person caught in the act? There was at least one other person there. Where would you go? Also, you should know that no Jewish person in their right mind would ever convict somebody of this without at least two witnesses. Which means that a group of people have again discovered this. This reeks of a setup, or well, The story tells us Jesus is being set up in verse 6. But this reeks... Of a setup. This woman is being set up. She has done a terrible, evil, horrible thing. But the religious leaders had to know. They had to know already. It's the only explanation I've got. They had to know, and either have been turning a blind eye because they said, well, people do stuff like that, and you know, it's not that big a deal. And then suddenly it becomes useful, and now it's wrong that they've got to kill her, which would be evil. Or they've known about it for a while, they think it's wrong, but they've been waiting for the moment that it would be useful to suddenly accuse this woman. And also the man in the story must at some level be complicit in this, whether just out in the open, like he's dragged this woman into this, which would mean that somehow he's used her body and her heart and then gotten her life in jeopardy. Or he's just abandoned her and run away, like a coward. She's facing death It's an ugly story. These people are doing an ugly thing with the truth. They are using the truth exactly the same way that you would use a lie. I don't know if you know this, but Nazis, back in Germany, uh, knew that Christians were bound to tell the truth. That we have to. They know our book. And they would know that Christians in a local neighborhood might know where where Jews were hiding, or maybe even be hiding Jews, and so they would go. And they would literally ask the question door to door, do you know where the Jews are? Creating a moral problem for the Christian. Community? And it's an interesting thing. There were theologians at the time, more than one, who actually bothered to take the time to try and justify lying to do a good thing. Can you do a bad thing in order to do a good thing? The man named wrote a book called Ethics. Um, and in it, he actually says, it is better for a lover of the truth to lie than for a wicked person to tell the truth. Which is a mind-bending sentence. It is better for a lover of the truth to lie than for a wicked person to tell the truth. And I remember when I heard about this whole kind of controversy, I thought, I don't understand. I would just lie. Not even a problem for me. And I think, it's bad that my immediate reaction is, who cares about lying? And my immediate reaction is, there's no problem for me. I must not love the truth. Jesus loves the truth. He's being confronted with people who are using the truth like it's a lie. But he loves the truth. They're trying to get dirt on him, right? Trying to get leverage over him, it says. And ironically, Jesus is the one who ends up in the dirt. It's one of my favorite moments, I think, that in the story of Jesus. But there are a lot of good Jesus moments if you read the Gospels over and over again. He does some rhetorical jujitsu on people every now and again, where they just they walk into a conversation and he flips it on them, he's like, How did that happen? They're on the ground,
1: Woo! Like, that was it's just a really good move that Jesus does. <laughs>
0: And there are moments in the Gospels where Jesus will heal somebody, do an incredible thing, but also, just along the way, do it to make people angry. So he will heal someone to throw shade at somebody else, which is a great use of the power of God, just to annoy people. I really I love that Jesus does stuff like this. But in this moment, some really powerful people, religious people, have come to confront him with a pressing life or death kind of situation. There is an outrageous thing that has been dragged in full view of everyone. And Jesus reacts when they say, so what do you say? Do we kill her or not? And he just starts doodling in the dirt. And that's right, my Greek translation is doodling. That is absolutely what that word means. He's drawing something that may or may not matter to him. He may or may not be writing or just kind of, it might be a cat or maybe a lion and he's just sort of, he's treating this question, he's treating this entire encounter with exactly the respect it deserves, which is very little respect. He's barely paying attention. Tell me, do angry, powerful people respond well to being ignored? Hilarious. <laughs> and then they start repeating the question, and they probably start yelling it at him, because he's just not listening. He just doesn't seem to care, but along the way I'm pretty sure that just about everybody watching is now focused on the dirt. Which means that for a brief moment this woman gets a break. That's really nice. It's a gracious thing that Jesus said. Again, she has been ripped in the act of adultery from a house. You can only assume she hasn't had a chance to clean herself up. She may or may not actually be wearing clothing. She might have just grabbed something out of the door. Again, these people are not trying to be nice to this woman. She's very exposed. So she has a brief opportunity to try and cover herself up a little bit, or at least an opportunity to be away from the eyes of you know, these prying people all of a sudden, but they keep repeating the question, they keep repeating the question. And eventually Jesus stands up. Let anyone who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he goes back to doing the dirt. Now that's remarkable. It's just a remarkable and wise act from the God of the universe who has taken on flesh. He needs one sentence. And in a weird way, he actually draws attention away from these people who are accusing this woman. She's stuck in shame in that moment and she gets a break. And Jesus actually allows these people to kind of think about their own shame for a little bit. draws attention away from them. So they get to sort of reflect and think all on their own. Now there are a lot of people, wise people, really good pastors and thinkers throughout the years, throughout the centuries actually, who guess at what Jesus might be drawn on the ground, and their guesses are fantastic. Some are just Bible verses, like in Deuteronomy where it says, don't bear false witness. Or in Deuteronomy where it says things like, if you accuse someone, make sure you're the first one to throw the rock, and make sure you're not involved in the crime at all. Or in Jeremiah where it says that the sins of these people will be written in the dust. Or different biblical characters throughout the year, Sexually sketchy women who actually do remarkable things for the people of God. Like Rahab and Tamar. Maybe he's just writing a name. In the dirt. Or maybe just a list of sins that are probably going on in the crowd of people around him. But for whatever reason, one by one, the oldest first, people start walking away. Age and wisdom don't always go together. But maybe when it comes to awareness of your own frailty and failing... And so the oldest walk away. And the way I imagine the story is this. Um, stoning is a way of killing someone. You might not have picked up on that It's a really ugly way of killing someone. Actually, you carry the largest rock you can, and you throw it at someone. That's how they die. So it's not like a hanging, which is already pretty violent. You basically just bash them to pieces with rocks. Usually people either die from blood loss or from concussions. So they probably brought rocks some of these people. And the way I imagine the story, that's not what it says in the scriptures. These people are holding rocks, and one by one you just sort of hear a thud as they walk away. And eventually, they're all gone. And this woman is surrounded by rocks, but no accusers, right? Still the accusations, but just there's no power behind them anymore in the presence of Jesus. Remarkable thing. And all of a sudden, Jesus stands up. This lady, where are I like that he starts with a joke. That's just It's funny to me that Jesus is making this a little bit... This is a very rough day in this woman's life. She was about to die a second ago. Where'd they go? Is there no one here to condemn you? No, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus says. A little bit later on, right, Jesus is talking to people in verse 31. And I have some folks who believe in him. He says, You need to remain in my words and you'll know the truth. The truth, he says, will set you free. You're really offended by this. What do you mean, free? The truth will set you free. But that would mean that we're slaves. That would mean the word, we're, we're slaves. What do you mean? We've never been slaves to anybody. I'm telling you the truth. Anybody who sins is a slave to sin. You need to be set free. And if the Son says he's free, you are free indeed. The Gospel something Christians talk about all the time, is first and foremost, bad news to anyone with a conscience. It's a bomb, it's a bad news to anyone with a conscience. It basically is this. We deserve death. The, the not so subtle point the rest of chapter 8 makes is that you and I are exactly in the same position that woman is in. We are standing where she is standing, exposed and in the dirt, surrounded by accusations and that we are in deep, deep need of Jesus. The gospel is first and foremost bad news to anyone with a conscience. That would mean that we're slaves. You're right, says Jesus. That would mean that you're slaves. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. There's all sorts of things that we talk about when we talk about sin. Sin are things that you do that, that are wrong. In the Bible is a good money lists on those things, but I think a lot of the time we just know deep down. Deep down that it's probably bad to be prideful. It's not so great that we lie. It's really rough sometimes when we look at women like they're objects, or look at objects like they'll save us. And the list goes on. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin, which means that we need freedom. (coughs) If somebody knew what was going on in the deep, dark places of our lives? What was happening behind closed doors? If they wanted to, they could probably drag us out in front of a room full of people, all holding rocks, all ready to tear us to pieces. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is there too. Right in the midst of those accusations, Jesus is there too. Doodling on the ground, giving us a chance, actually, to kind of compose ourselves and decide what we would like to do in this particular moment. But the truth, the truth ultimately is what sets us free, because the truth is ultimately (coughs) what points out to us just how enslaved we are in the first place. The truth that this woman has, actually, that she... She's been under a sentence of death for a long time. She's been inviting death into her life for a long time, but now it's out in the open. And that seems miserable and terrible, but if it's not out in the open, then how can Jesus save her? It? If it's not out in the open, how can Jesus save her? The truth, actually, is what sets this woman free. Not the kind of truth that these religious people have. The kind of truth that ultimately just condemns people and tortures them and accuses them. The kind of truth that, you know, the truth that puts everything out in the open and has all those accusations fall like large heavy stones on the ground. Uh, this woman, she finds herself with Jesus, an actual sinless person who really could throw a rock if he chose. She finds herself alone. It says, surrounded, but alone. And for those of you who've had Me Too movements, have women, it's a remarkable thing that Jesus in this story is absolutely the right kind of person for a woman to be with alone. In fact, the more you read Scripture, the more you'll think, man, there's something about this guy that just Women seem really comfortable with Jesus. There's at least one man out there that you can be really comfortable with. Men in the room. For those of you who have me-too movements, let's just, let's be honest. Happens to both genders and from both genders. There's something really great about Jesus. That he's safe in that way. But he's safe in a really important way. He's there in this moment to provide grace and freedom and healing for this woman who's absolutely exposed and under all of her shame is out there in the open. As Jesus says, neither do I condemn. He has the ability to do so. He chooses not to. Really important. It's not that this woman did nothing wrong. It's not that this does not matter. It's not that adultery isn't that big a deal because everybody sins sometimes. It's a huge deal. It's a death sentence. It's just that Jesus acts in this story as though he's the one she's offended. It's a weird arrogance. All the time. Any wrong you seem to commit always seems to be directed at Jesus. Which means that he's always the one who seems to be able to forgive. <clears throat> Neither I do I condemn you in this story. It's amazing. Because again, the gospel is bad news to anyone with a conscience. But it's good news. Because it puts us at the feet of Jesus. It means that we come to Jesus and say, I, I think I deserve death. he says, Yep. And I'm going to take that from you. I think I've done something terrible. Oh, yeah. then I forgive you. I think I deserve condemnation. You do. I'm not going to do that, though. This is what we talk about when we talk about grace. That there is a God who loves you so much that he came in Jesus Christ to set you free from all of those accusations, some of which I know that you launch at yourself like great heavy rocks ripping yourself apart each and every day. Some of which I know come from your family. Maybe you experienced a little of that at Thanksgiving, because not every family is great at Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And some of us, I know, just experience it out in the world from all sorts of different relationships that are really ugly and wrong. Some of us, I know, go, I deserve this. Maybe you do. All I know is that this tells us that if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And the truth simply is this, that if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Jesus Christ. If He sets you free, you're free. You go out into the world, all of those accusations are powerless. All of those things that you've done wrong, powerless. All of those sentences of death, all of those condemnations that you feel in your life all of the time, powerless. If the Son sets you free, you are free. That's the truth. So you pray for me. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for good news. Alongside some bad news. And God, where we've we been where we've been playing around with things that we know will destroy us. God, we pray that you give us the power to give that up, but that we come clean to you and you'd set us free. Lord, we're just getting to know you and we're not quite sure what this means. That we stick around and ask more questions. That you'd make yourself known to us in powerful and profound ways. That we would know that therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus that we go out into the world set free, really, truly walking free, because you've set us free. In the name of Jesus.